Hey, it's Leah. Thanks for listening. If you have comments or questions, suggestions on how to make this a better podcast, or suggestions for material, or you'd like to submit something for me to read, you can send me emails. It's leahlouder at gmail.com. That's L-E-A-H-L-O-U-D-E-R at gmail.com. Okay. Right now I'm reading The Cloud Dream of the Nine. Chapter 6. It is Cloudlet. After meeting with the fairy, Yang no longer kept company with his friends, nor received guests. He lived quite by himself in the park pavilion and gave his thoughts to this one thing only. When night came, he waited for her footsteps, and while day dragged on its way, he waited again for the night. He hoped to persuade her to more frequent visits, but she refused to come often. Thus his mind became more and more consumed with thoughts of her. Sometime later, two persons came to visit him by the side entrance of the park. He noticed that the one in front was his friend Thirteen, while the other was a stranger whom he saw for the first time. Thirteen presented the stranger to Master Yang. This is Professor Tu Chinin, said he, from the Temple of the Absolute. He is as well-versed in physiognomy and fortune-telling as were the ancients. He would like to read your Excellency's face, for which purpose he has come at great effort. Yang received him with open-handed welcome. I have heard your honorable name for a long time, said he, but we have never met before. Our coming thus face to face is beyond my highest hopes and expectations. Have you ever read our friend Thirteen's fortune? What do you think of it, pray? Thirteen replied for himself, saying, The professor read my face and greatly praised it. Within three years, said he, you will pass the examination and become a magistrate of the eight districts. This satisfies me, and I know it will come to pass. Brother Yang, you try once and have him read yours. A good man, said Yang, never asks about the blessings he has in store, but only of the trouble that awaits him. And now you must tell me the whole truth. After Professor Tu had examined him for a long time, he said, Your eyebrows are different from those of anyone I have ever seen. You have almond eyes that are set slantwise across the cheekbones. They indicate that you are to rise to the rank of a minister of state. Your complexion is as though powdered with rouge, and your face is round like a gem. Your name will assuredly be known far and wide. Across your temples and over your face are indications of great power. Your name, as a military officer, will encompass the four seas, you will be made a peer when three thousand miles away, and no blemish will ever tarnish your fair name. One danger only, I see, a strange and undreamed-of one. If you had not met me, I am afraid you might have come to an untimely end. A man's good luck, said Yang, or evil fortune, all pertain to himself, if they pertain to anything. Sickness I accept as something that I cannot of myself escape, are there any signs that I am to fall seriously ill? Professor Tu replied, 
what I refer to as a wholly unexpected evil. A bluish color is evident on your upper brow, and an unpropitious expression has got itself fastened onto the rims of your eyelids. Have you any serving man or maid in your employ whose origin you are doubtful of? The master thought in his heart of the spirit, Chang Yo, and guessed that this might be due to her, but he suppressed his feelings and replied without a quaver, There is no such person as you suggest. Then, too, said further, Have you passed an old grave or anything of the kind that has upset you or given you a fright, or have you had any intercourse with disembodied spirits in your dreams? I know nothing of that kind, said the master. Here, Thirteen broke in to say, Professor Tu's words never miss the mark to the fraction of a hair. Think well, Yang, please. But Yang made no reply. The professor then went on. A mortal has his being from the Yang, or positive principle in nature, while a spirit has its from the negative, or Om. As it is impossible to change day for night, or night for day, so the difference between the two remains forever fixed, like that of fire and water. Now that I see your Excellency's face, I can read that some spirit has got its hold upon your body, and that in a few days it will get into your bones, in which case I fear that nothing can save your life. When this comes to pass, please do not complain against me or say that I did not tell you. Master Yang thought to himself, even though Tu's words are true, still, Chang Yo and I have long had to do with each other, and have sworn a solemn oath to live and die together. Our love increases day by day. Why should she do me harm? Yang Wan of Cho met a fairy, and they were married, and shared the same home. And Niu Chan had for a wife a disembodied spirit, and they had children. If such things happened in the past, why should I be specially alarmed? So he said to the professor, A man's length of life and good or evil fortune are all decreed and appointed for him when he is born. I have proofs already of becoming a great general and minister of state, with riches and honor to my name. How could an evil spirit upset such a fortune as this? Two replied, The shortening of life rests with yourself. The lengthening of life rests also with yourself. But this is no concern of mine. So he gave his sleeves a shake and was gone, the master no longer urging him to stay. Thirteen comforted him, saying, Brother Yang, you are by nature a lucky man. The gods are on your side. Why should you fear any spirit? This contemptible fellow likes to upset people with his miserable fortune-tellings and sleight of hand. So they drank together, spent the day happily, and then parted. In the evening, the master, recovered from the effects of the wine, burnt incense and sat in silence, waiting impatiently for Chang Yo to come. The night passed on into the morning watches, and there were no signs of her. He beat the table with impatient hand, saying, The day is beginning to dawn, and yet there is no Chang Yo. He put out the lights and tried to sleep, when suddenly he heard someone crying outside his window, and then a voice speaking, 
which was none other than Chang Yao's. She was saying, The master wears upon his head a demoniacal charm, placed there by this woeful professor. I dare not approach him. I know it was not accepted of your own free will, but still it is done now, and it indicates that our destiny is finished, and this dire creature has found his delight. My one wish is that the dear master may be protected, safe and sound from all harm. I say my last and final farewell. Yang gave a great start of alarm, opened the door to see, but there was no trace of her. A piece of folded paper only remained on the doorstep. This he opened and read. Two verses that she had written on it ran thus. To fill our lot, as God intends, we rode the gilded clouds together. You poured the fragrant wine as friends before my grave upon the heather. Ere you had time, my heart to see, we're parted wide as gods and men. I have no fault to find with thee, but with a man called Three and Ten. The master read it over in a state of woeful astonishment. He felt his head, and there under his topknot, sure enough, a charm against spirits. He roared out against it. This miserable demon of a creature has upset my plans. So he tore it all to pieces and flew into a towering rage. He again took up Cheng Yo's letter, read it through, and suddenly re recollected, saying, This word, three and ten, indicates that her resentment is directed against thirteen. He's at the back of this, and while his part may not be the wicked one that twos is, he has interfered with what is good. The rascal. I'll give him a piece of my mind when I meet him. Then, following the rhyme characters of Chang Yo's verses, he wrote a reply and put it in his pocket, saying, I have written my answer, but by whom shall I send it? It ran thus. You mount the speeding wind. You ride upon the cloud. Don't tell my soul you dwell in the gruesome secret shroud. The hundred flowers that blow, the moonlight soft and clear, are born of you. Where will you go? My soul, my life, my dear. He waited till the morning and then went to pay a call on Thirteen. But Thirteen had gone for a walk and was not to be seen. On three successive days he went again and again, looking for him, but failed each time to find him. Even the very shadow of Thirteen seemed to have disappeared. He visited Chagak Pavilion in the hope of meeting Chang Yo but he found that it was a difficult thing to meet a disembodied spirit at will. There was no one to whom he could unburden his heart. Filled with distress, little by little his sleep failed him, and his desire for food fell away. Justice Chung and his wife took note of this, and in their anxiety prepared special dainties, had him called, and while they talked and partook together, the justice said, Why is it, Yang, my son? that your face looks so thin and worn these days. Yang replied, Thirteen and I have been drinking too much. I expect that is the cause. Just at this point, Thirteen came in, and Yang, with anger in his eye, gave him a side glance, 
but said nothing. Thirteen spoke, Brother, is it because you are so taken up with affairs of state that you seem disturbed in heart? Are you homesick or feeling unwell? What is the reason, I wonder, for your dejected looks and unhappy frame of mind? Yang made an indefinite answer. A man who is away from home, knocking about in strange places, would he not be so? The justice then remarked, I hear the servants say that you have been seen talking to some pretty girl in the park pavilion. Is that so? Yang replied, The park is enclosed. How could anyone get in there? The person who said that is crazy. Brother, said Thirteen, with all your experience of men and affairs, why do you blush and act so like a bashful girl? Although you sent off two with such dispatch, I can still see by your face that there is something you have concealed. I was afraid that you would get yourself bemused and not see the danger ahead, and so I, unknown to you, placed Tujin's charm against evils under your topknot. You were the worse for drink and unaware of what I did. That night I hid myself in the park and took note of what passed, and, sure enough, some female spirit came and cried outside your window, and then said her goodbye. She cleared the wall at a bound and was gone. I know by this that Tu Jin's words were true, and so my faithfulness has saved you. You have not thanked me for it, however, but on the other hand have seemed angry. What do you mean by such conduct? Yang could no longer conceal the matter, and so said to the justice, Your unworthy son's experience is indeed a very strange and remarkable one. I shall tell my honorable father all about it. And so he told him everything. He said finally, I know that Thirteen has done what he did in my interests, but still, the girl Chang Yo, even though you say she is a disembodied spirit, is firm and substantial in form, and by no means a piece of nothingness. Her heart is true and honest, and not at all of evil or deceptive makeup. She would never, never do one a wrong. Though I am a contemptible creature, Still I am a man, and could not be so taken in by a devil. Thirteen, by his misplaced charm, has broken into Chang Yo's life with me, and so I cannot but feel resentment toward him. The justice clapped his hands and gave a great laugh. Yang, my boy, said he, your taste and elegance are equal to that of Song Ok. You have already called up the fairies. How can you fail to know the law by which it is done? I am not joking now when I say to you that when I was young, I met a holy man, and I learned from him the law by which spirits are called up. And I shall now, for the sake of my son-in-law, call forth Chang Yo, have her forgive your sin, and comfort your troubled heart. I wonder if this would suit you. You are making sport of me, said Yang. Even though Song Ok called up the spirit of Lady Yu, the law by which he did so has been lost for many generations. I cannot believe what you say. Then Thirteen broke in. Brother Yang called up the spirit of Chang Yo without making a single effort, and I drove her away by means of one small charm. When we think of this, it surely proves that there is such a thing as calling up spirits. Why do you lack faith so? At this moment, the justice struck the screen behind him with his fan and called, Chang Yo, where are you? Immediately, a maiden stepped forth. 
her face all sunshine and wreathed in smiles. She tripped gently forth and went and stood behind the Lady Chung. Yang gave one glance at her, and lo, it was Chang Yo. He was in a state of inexpressible astonishment and entirely unable to understand. The Justice and Thirteen looked at him in a questioning way and asked, Is this a spirit or a living person? How can it come forth thus into the broad light of day? The Justice and the Lady Chung laughed gently, while Thirteen simply rolled in fits of merriment. All the servants likewise were convulsed with laughter. The Justice then went on, Now I'll tell you, my son, how it all came about. This girl is neither a disembodied spirit nor a fairy, but Ka Si, who was brought up in our home and whose name is Chun Un, or Cloudlet. We thought of you living by yourself in the park pavilion, so lonely, and sent this girl, telling her to see you to your home and to comfort you. This was a kind thought on the part of us two old people. But the young folks came in at this point and arranged a practical joke that has gone beyond all bounds and limits and put you to no end of discomfort. And yet, a laughable enough joke in its way. Thirteen, at last getting himself under control, said, Your meeting the fairy twice was a favor accorded you by me. You have not been thankful to me as a go-between, but have, on the other hand, treated me as an enemy. Evidently, you are a man with no gratitude of heart. Here, Yang laughed and said, My father it was who sent her to me, and thirteen it was who played the trick between us. What possible favor have I to thank him for? Thirteen replied, I am unmoved by your reprimand for the joke. The whole plan of it, and the directions for the carrying of it out, belong to another person. I bear only the smallest part in the blame. Then Yang laughingly looked at the justice and said, Can it be true? Did you, my father, play this joke on me? The justice said, By no means. I am already an old, gray-headed man. Why should I indulge in the sport of children? You have made a mistake in so thinking. Then Master Yang looked at Thirteen and said, If you are not at the back of it, I'd like to know who is. Thirteen made answer. The sage says, What comes forth from me returns to me again. Think, brother, where this could come from. Who did you once play a trick upon and deceive? If a man can become a woman, why can't a woman become a fairy? Or again, a fairy become a disembodied spirit? What is there so strange about it? Then it was that the master understood. He laughed and said to the justice, I see it now, I see it now. I played a trick once upon the lady of this house, and she has never forgotten it. The justice and his wife both laughed, but said nothing in reply. Master Yang then turned to Cloudlet and said, Cloudlet, you are indeed a bright and clever girl, but for you to undertake, first of all, to deceive the man you intend to serve is hardly the law that governs husband and wife, is it? Cloudlet knelt down and made her reply, Your humble servant heard only the general's orders, not the commands of her king. Yang sighed and said, In olden times, fairies in the morning were clouds, and in the evening they became rain. But, Cloudlet, 
you became a fairy in the morning and a disembodied spirit in the evening. Though clouds and rain differ, they were one and the same fairy. And though the fairy I saw and the spirit differed, they were one and the same cloudlet. Yang Wang understood it to be one and the same fairy in the trick of the rain and the clouds. I, too, understood it to be cloudlet now, so why talk about fairy or spirit? Still, when Yang Wang saw a cloud, he didn't call it a cloud, but a fairy. And when he saw the rain, he did not call it the rain, but his fairy. I, when I met a fairy, did not call her cloudlet, but a fairy. And when I met a spirit, I did not call it cloudlet, but a spirit, which shows that I have not yet attained to Yang Wang. And also, that cloudlet's power to change is not equal to that of the ancient fairy. I have heard it said that a powerful general has no poor soldiers. Since the soldier is such as this, I can only guess at the nature of the general whom I have not seen. All joined in the universal merrymaking. More refreshments were brought in, and they spent the day in feasting. Cloudlet, a new person in the company, sat on the mat and took part. When night had fallen, she carried a lantern and went with her lord to the park pavilion. He, hilarious from wine, took her by the hand and jokingly said, Are you truly a fairy or a spirit? Again, he added, Not a fairy and not a spirit, but a living person. If I can love a fairy thus, and even a spirit, how much more a living person? You are not a fairy, and you are not a spirit. But she who made you a fairy, and again she who made you a spirit, surely possesses the law by which we turn to fairies and spirits. And will she say that I am but a common man of earth, and not want to keep company with me? And will she call this park where I live the dusty world of men, and not wish to see me? If she can change you into a fairy or into a spirit, can't I do just the same and change you too? If I turn you into a fairy, shall I turn you into Han Jia, who lives in the moon? Or if I turn you into a spirit, shall it not be into Chin Chin of Nam Ak that I turn you? Cloudlet replied, Your dishonorable wife has done a bold and terrible thing, and my sins of deception are without number. Please, my master, will you ever forgive me? The master replied, Even when you changed into a spirit, I did not dislike you. How could I now bear any fault in mind toward you, my cloudlet? She arose and bowed her thanks. After the Yang Halim had won his honors, he entered the office of the graduates, where he had his official duties assigned him. Till the present, he had not yet visited his mother, whom he greatly desired to see and bring up to the capital, so that she might be present at his wedding. But just at this juncture, a mighty event happened that changed all his plans. The Tibetans arose in revolt and marched into the western part of the kingdom. The three governors, also of the territory north of the river, in league with their stronger neighbor, arose likewise, calling themselves the kings of Yan, Cho, and Wei. The emperor, in a state of anxiety, discussed the whole situation with his ministers and made preparation to send troops to put them down. 
but the various officials could not agree on a plan of action. Till at last, the graduate Yang Soyu stepped forth and said, In olden times, Han Muji summoned the king of Southern Wool and remonstrated with him. Let your majesty do the same. Have an imperial order written out and reason with these men. If after that they do not yield, then let troops go against them with all the force possible. The emperor, pleased with this, commanded Soyu immediately to write out such an order. Soyu bowed low, took the pen as commanded, and wrote it. Delighted with him, the emperor said, The form is splendid and preserves our dignity, at the same time demonstrating our favor. So reasonable is it, too, that the foolish rebels will be won over, I am sure. Thus was it sent to the three armies in insurrection. Cho and we at once laid aside their claims to kingship, submitted, and sent humble memorials confessing their sins. Along with these came ten thousand horses and a thousand rolls of silk as tribute. Only the king of Yan refused. His district was far distant from the capital, and he had under his command many well-trained troops. The emperor announced that the submission of Cho and We was due entirely to the merits of Yang So Yu, and he wrote out the following edict. About a hundred years ago, the three districts to the north of the river, each separated by wide stretches of territory and trusting in its trained forces, raised an insurrection. The emperor, Tak Chong, marshaled an army of a hundred thousand men and ordered his two best generals to the front. But they failed entirely to obtain the required submission. Now, however, by one word written by Yang So Yu, we have brought two armies of rebellion to terms, in which not a single soldier was killed or a person injured. The power of the emperor has been demonstrated to a distance of 10,000 li. We view this with deepest gratitude and send herewith 5,000 rolls of silk and 50 horses to express our highest favor. He desired to raise his rank, but Yang So Yu went into the imperial presence, thanked his majesty, and declined the favor, saying, The striking off of a draft of an imperial order is the duty of a minister. The submission of the two armies is due to your imperial prestige. What merit have I ever won to receive such bountiful gifts as these? There remains still one army unyielded. I regret that I have not been able to draw the sword and wipe out this disgrace. How could your humble subject receive promotion with pleasure under such circumstances? My office now is sufficiently high to display any merits that I have. Nothing would be gained by its being higher. As victory or defeat are not dependent on the number of troops engaged, I wish that I might have a single company of soldiers, and with the backing of your imperial presence, go out to settle the matter with Yan for life or death. Thus would I make some little return for the ten thousand favors that your majesty has conferred upon me. The emperor gladly welcomed the suggestion, and asked the opinion of the ministers assembled. They replied, Three armies in league with each other were against us, and now two have submitted. Mad little Yan will be like a piece of meat ready for the boiling pot, or an ant caught in a hole. Before the imperial troops he will be but a dried twig, 
or a decayed piece of wood ready to be broken. Let the imperial army try all other means before striking. Let Gang So Yu be put in command, to try his skill for better or for worse. If after that Yan does not yield, then make the attack. The emperor, deeming this wise, ordered Yang So Yu to start for Yan with all the insignia of power, flags, drums, and battle axes, but his commands were to use persuasion first. So Yang So Yu set out on his way, after having said goodbye to Justice Chung. On parting, the justice said to him, Men are wicked in these far distant places, and rebellion against the state is a matter of everyday occurrence. I feel that you, a scholar, are going into danger. If some unforeseen misfortune should overtake you, it would not only be your old father-in-law who would be left desolate, but the whole house. I am old and out of the question, so I no longer have a share in the affairs of state. My desire is to send a memorial objecting to your going. Please, do not do that, said Yang in reply, and don't be over-anxious. These far-off peoples sometimes take advantage of a disturbed state of affairs in the government to rise up, but with the emperor so great and powerful, and the government so enlightened, there is no such fear. Also, the two states of Cho and Wei have yielded. Why should we be anxious about the little isolated kingdom of Yan? The emperor's commands, said the justice, are supreme and the matter is already decided, so I have nothing more to say. Only be careful of yourself, and let not his imperial majesty have any cause for shame. The lady of the house wept over his going, and in parting said, Since we have won so noble a son, we have tasted the joys and delights of old age. Alas, for my feelings now, as you start off for this distant region, to go and return quickly is my one wish for you. Yang withdrew, betook himself to the park pavilion, and made ready for his journey. Cloudlet shed pearly tears over him, saying, When my lord went daily to his duties in the palace, your humble wife loved to rise early, make neat his room, bring dress and official robes, while you looked on with kindly eyes upon her and delayed your steps as though you found it hard to go. Now you are starting for a thousand miles distant. What word of love could answer under such a circumstance as this? The Halim replied laughing, The man of affairs who enters upon a mighty question of the state, impelled by the commands of his emperor, thinks not of life or death. All the minor affairs of the day disappear from his vision. You, Cloudlet, Bear up bravely now. Don't be anxious or mar your pretty face. Serve your mistress well, and in a little, if all goes right, I'll finish what I have to do, win great renown, and come back with flying colors and a gold seal like a grain measure hanging at my belt. Be patient and wait for me. He passed through the gate, mounted his palanquin, and was gone. When he reached the city of Nakyang, he found once more the old landmarks. On his last journey, he had been but a youngster in his teens, in his student's dress, riding a hobbling donkey. A few years only had passed, and here he was, 
with the banners and spears of office going before him, and he seated in a four-horse palanquin. The magistrate of Nakyang hastily repaired the roads, while the governor of the south of the river respectfully assisted him on his way. The glory of his progress lightened the world, while the vanguard of his march shook the towns like an earthquake. Country folk struggled for a place to see, and the passers-by in the street shouted out their acclamations. So great was his splendor as he passed along. General Yang got his boy-servant to make inquiry, first of all, as to any news of moonlight. He went to her home and inquired, but the entrance gates were locked, and the upper pavilion closely curtained. Only the cherry blossoms were in bloom, smiling over the wall. He asked the neighbors, and they answered that moonlight had left the place a year and more ago. Some gentleman, they said, who was on his way to a distant part of the country, had become betrothed to her, and after that she pretended to be ill, received no guests, went to no official feasts, and declined everything. A little later, in a fit of insanity, she threw away her jewels and head ornaments, donned the garb of a Taoist priestess, and went visiting the temples in the mountains. She never came back, and no one knew where she had gone. The boy returned and told his master, and Yang, who had been happy in the high expectation of seeing her, fell into a fit of gloom and sadness. He passed her home and thought of the happy experiences gone by, and with disappointed feelings went to a public guest house. Their mysterious meeting had now faded away into the distance, leaving him sleepless. The governor sent him a score of dancing girls to entertain him, all women of note in their world. As they sat about in their pretty dresses, he recognized among them some who had been present at the bridge pavilion. They vied with each other in their attempts to please and win his attention, but he would have nothing to do with any of them. He composed these two verses and wrote them on the wall. The rain sweeps by the bridge kiosk, and o'er the catkins fresh and green, its music calls me through the dusk, back to its flowery silken scene. Behold me now, dressed out in state, returned to greet my chosen one. But I have come, alas, too late, and she who stirred my heart is gone. When he had finished, he tossed aside his pen, mounted his palanquin, and rode away. While all the dancing folk seeing him thus leave, untouched by their influence, held down their heads in shame. The dancing girls copied the verses and gave them to the governor, and he scolded them soundly. If you had won General Yang's attention, your names would have been enhanced a hundredfold, he said, but with all your finery you did not even win a glance from him, and have caused Nak Yang to lose face. He asked them who the general meant by his reference, and when he learned who it was, he advertised for moonlight far and wide, in the hope of finding her before the general's return. Yang finally reached the land of Yan. The people living in that distant region had never dreamed of the power or splendor of the capital. Now, when they beheld Yang Halim, he seemed like the fabled unicorn 
that steps down upon the earth, or the phoenix that appears among the clouds. They jostled each other to get close round his palanquin and blocked his way in their desire to see. The general, in his power of execution, was like the swift thunder, and his readiness to bestow favor like the spring rain, so that these rude people were overcome by his presence, danced and sang with delight, and said to one another, His divine majesty the emperor will indeed spare us. When Yang met the king of Yan, he spoke so boldly of the power and prestige of his majesty, praised the attitude of the government, and explained so fully the difference between submission and opposition, assistance and resistance, that his words were as irresistible as the lift of the sea, or the falling of autumn frosts. The king of Yan, greatly moved and impressed, was won over. He bowed down to the earth and confessed his faults, saying, We, in this benighted district, are so far away from the great center of things, and so out of touch with imperial blessings and favors, that we dared to offer resistance to the state. We have made light of life, and have been ignorant whence our blessings and favors come. And now, having heard the convincing words of your excellency, I see that I have done a great wrong. No more shall such mad thoughts possess me, but I shall sincerely do the part of a loyal and faithful subject. Please, on your return, make my statement for me, and let this tributary land find peace instead of war, and blessing in life instead of calamity. This indeed would be for me more than I could expect. A great feast was held in the palace of Yan, and the general was offered when he left a hundred talents of gold and ten of the finest horses as tribute presents. Yang bowed but did not receive them, setting out empty-handed on his way westward toward home. In ten days or so he passed Hantan, the old capital of Chou, when suddenly a beautiful lad, riding a superb horse, appeared just in front of him. He had heard the calls of the general's outrunners and had dismounted, standing respectfully by the side of the way. The general looked at him and said, Yonder horse that that young man rides is a Persian steed, surely. As he advanced closer, the young rider appeared strangely beautiful, as an opening flower or the returning circle of the moon. His graceful form, with the light that seemed to emanate from him, dazzled the eyes of the onlooker. In all my travels, said Yang, I never before saw so handsome a youth as yonder lad. One glimpse of his beautiful face would tell of his gifts and graces. He said to the servants, Invite him to follow us, will you? When the general had retired to his lodgings for the night, the young man appeared before the door and was invited in. Yang at once fell captive to his spell and said, Your handsome face has wholly won my heart. I wish to take you with me, and so sent for you. My one fear has been that you might not respond or wish to follow. Now that you have come, I am greatly delighted, and want to know who you are and your honorable name. The young man made answer, Your humble servant is from the Northland, and my surname is Chalk, and given name Peknan. I have been brought up in an exiled country, 
have had no special friends or teachers to guide me, and so my learning is of a very shallow nature, attaining to proficiency neither in the character nor in the handling of the sword. My heart only is right-adjusted and means to stand by its friends, or if need be, die for them. Your Excellency's journey through the North, where all have been equally impressed by your commanding presence and unexampled favor, has awakened my heart in admiration to a point that knows no bounds. Forgetful of my low birth and ignorance, I desired to attach myself to your lordship, to be your faithful bird of the morning or watchdog of the night. Now your excellency, taking note of this wish of mine, has condescended to call me and has done me such an honor as I had never dreamed. Assuredly, the great teacher's kindness bestowed upon a humble pupil is mine today. Yang, greatly delighted, made reply. The ancients said, A similar sound makes like echo, and like strength does a similar deed. A beautiful fulfillment of this is evident in the fact that our hearts agree. From this time on, Master Chok rode bridle by bridle in company with the general, and lived and dined with him. They admired the beauties of nature together, delighted themselves under the soft rays of the moon, and forgot all about the hardships of the way. Again, the cavalcade arrived at Nakyang and crossed the Chunjin Bridge. Old remembrances came crowding back on Yang, and he said, Now that Moonlight is a so-called priestess, my heart condemns me when I think of her wandering over the hills in order to fulfill her vow and to wait for my return. Already I have gone by once with the insignia of battle-axes and banners accompanying me, but she was nowhere to be seen, so all our plans have come to naught, as men's plans do. How can I be other than sad? If Moonlight knew of my coming, she would not fail to meet me, but her sweet face is not here. I expect that if she is not to be found in the Taoist temple, she will be somewhere among the Buddhist priestesses. How can I send word to her? Alas, if we do not meet this time, how much of life may pass before we ever meet again? Just then, he raised his eyes towards the distance, and there he saw a young woman, with a gem screen hanging before her, leaning gently on the railing of a neighboring pavilion, evidently watching the chariots and the horses go by. It was moonlight. Yang, pent up with heart longings and desire to see her face to face, caught sight of her lovely expression, which took a fresh and new grip upon him. He drove hastily by, and the two looked their messages of lively recognition, each toward the other. When he reached the guest house, Moonlight was already there, having come by a short and ready road. She saw him dismount from the chariot and tripped forth to meet him. First, she bowed low. She then accompanied him into the guest room, where in her joy of soul, she took hold of the border of his robes and told how happy she was after the sorrows of the year that had gone. Her tears flowed faster than her words. She bowed again and congratulated him upon his safe return. All that had happened during the long interval since they had said goodbye was told. When you left me, she said, 
I was invited to the gatherings of the princes and feasts of the nobility. Invitations came from north, south, east, and west, till I was wearied out. At last, I cut off my hair with my own hands to escape dishonor, and then pretended that I was smitten with a dangerous illness. I threw away all my pretty ornaments, put on the dress of a priestess, and made my escape from the busy city, and went and lived in the mountains. From the guests who came to visit the temples, and from others of the city and the capital who were studying Taoism, I learned news of your lordship. Early last spring I heard that you had memorialized the emperor, and had gone forth as his special envoy. I knew that you passed the city, but the distance was too great for me to return. All I could do was to look toward the distant kingdom of Yan and let my tears fall. The magistrate, knowing that I had become a priestess because of you, showed me what you had written on the walls of the monastery, saying, General Yang, with direct orders from His Majesty the Emperor, came by this way. Many dancing girls welcomed his coming, but because his lordship did not see you, he was greatly disappointed and would have nothing to do with any of them. In his disappointment, he wrote this on the wall and left. How was it that you, of all others, should be off there in the hills and so cause my entertainment of the envoy to be a failure? And thus, desirous of showing you all respect, he apologized for his hard treatment in the past, earnestly desiring me to come back to my home in the city to await your return. I was delighted to do so. Then it was that I first realized that I, an insignificant woman, had a certain value attaching to my person. I waited alone in the Chonjin Pavilion, hoping for your coming. Will not the many dancing girls of the city and the crowds of the streets, every one of them, envy my place of honor and the glory that comes to me? I have already learned that you won the Quago and that you were made a Halim, but I have wondered whether you were married or not. Yang replied, I am already engaged to the daughter of Justice Chung, but the ceremony has not yet been celebrated. The superior attainments of the lady are already known to me, and she is exactly what you foretold. My pretty go-between has loaded me with obligations greater than the mountains of Tai. They renewed their former happy acquaintance, and he tarried for several days. Because of Moonlight's presence, the young man Chok did not call. Once the servant boy came in, in great alarm, to say to the master, Your humble servant has noticed that the young gentleman Chuck is not a good man. I saw him in the women's quarters, joking and playing with Moonlight. Moonlight is in the service of your lordship. How could she be treated thus familiarly? The Halim made reply, Master Chuck would never do such a thing as this, and I have all confidence in Moonlight, too. You have been mistaken. The boy was very angry and went out. In a little, he came again and spoke. Your lordship said that my report was nonsense. The two now are holding hands and enjoying themselves together. If you will please come out and see for yourself, you will know whether my story is correct or not. Yang went out and looked toward the servants' quarters. And there the two were leaning over the wall, talking and laughing together, fondling each other's hands and having a very amusing time. Desiring to hear what they were saying, Yang went closer. But Master Chok, hearing the sound of footfalls, took alarm and ran away. Moonlight looked back at the master 
and an unexpected blush of shame covered her face. Yang asked gently, Moonlight, my dear, are you specially acquainted with Master Chok? Moonlight replied, We are not relatives, he and I, but I dearly love his sister, and we were talking about her. I am, as you know, only a dancing girl, so that my eyes and ears are steeped in the ways of the world, and I am not afraid of men. By holding hands and jesting and whispering as I have done, I have raised a doubt in my kind master's mind. My shame is so great for it that I really desire to die. Yang said, I have no doubts of you at all, so do not be in the least disturbed. He thought to himself, Chok is a young man, and his being caught thus by me will make him feel ashamed. I must call him and assure him that I am not disturbed. So he sent for his boy to come, but he was nowhere to be found. With great regret, he said, In olden time, King Cho Jong made them all break off their hat strings in order to quiet their fears. Now I, in my aimless peering about, have disappointed my friend and have lost me my lovely scholar. What shall I do about it? He made the servants seek high and low, inside and outside the walls for Chok. That night, he talked over the past with moonlight and said how they were indeed destined for each other. They drank and were happy till the hours grew late. Then they put out the lights and slept. When the east began to lighten, he awoke and saw Moonlight doing up her hair before the mirror. He looked at her with tenderest interest and then gave a start and looked again. The delicate eyebrows, the bright eyes, the wavy hair like a cloud over the temples, the rosy-tinted cheeks, the lithe, graceful form, the white complexion, all were moonlights, and yet it was not she. Alarm and doubt overcame him so that he dared not speak. <laughs>